0: As you pull out your swords and turn to the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, this morning, Savior Saga Part 4. We saw last time the coming of John the Baptist, the first miracle baby, and now the second miracle baby. This is a story that we normally see at Christmas time, but there's a lot in it. And this morning, I want to just share with you three responses from the world that day. You know, the name Jesus brings a response still to this day, and very often in our world, a negative response. Amen? You know, there's people that can deal with God, but they can't deal with the whole Jesus thing. I'm okay with God, but don't talk to me about this Jesus dude. You know, we don't really want to hear about him, because he's that guy about whom he himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. That's too exclusive for me. And yet it is, in fact, that exclusivity that makes him who he is. Because if he's not one of one, as the book of Colossians tells us, if he's not the firstborn of creation, if he's not God's only begotten son, then he's not Savior. And he can't be Lord. He wouldn't be God. And so this morning, as we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 2, We see three basic responses, and first we find the powers of this world. Isn't it interesting how the powers of this world respond to Jesus? Nobody really wants to just outright condemn that Christians worship the Lord Jesus, but they sure don't like the fact that we exclude everyone else who happens to believe in Muhammad or Krishna or Vishnu or Buddha or anyone else for that matter, or in our case here in America, those who maybe have a Native American heritage who believe in the wind spirit and the sun spirit and the earth spirit and the water spirit and the spirit of everything, including trees. We have a few folks up in Berkeley who believe that trees are actually God. A lot of people want to be able to say, well, you know, just don't step on my version, my particular belief system. Family of God, there is no escaping that Jesus is exclusive. He said I would divide families. He said I didn't come to bring peace but the sword. He said I would eventually divide moms and dads and fathers and sons. Why? not because he wants anybody to be hurt or wounded, not because he wants the separation, but you will by necessity be forced to either choose Jesus Christ as Lord or not. And so this birth is a very special baby. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift that you gave us on Calvary's cross, your blood shed for the remission of our sin, your body broken, that we who are broken might be made whole. And Lord, as we study your word, would you give us clarity of mind and heart? Help us to take in this beautiful picture, Lord, of what you had planned all along. No mistake, it was all mapped out in heaven before it ever happened. Your sovereign plan unfolds before us today. Bless your word. Strengthen us to receive it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And as you notice there, this is a special event that's brought forth by a heathen, pagan king, if you will. Make no mistake... God, in fact, uses kings. God, in fact, uses presidents. God, in fact, can even use corrupt people in our government today. God, in fact, is still very much in control of his world. He has allowed the conditions that exist today for his plans and purposes. Ultimately, we may not have all the answers this side of glory, but make no mistake, even Caesar Augustus can be used of God. And the census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, and so all went to be registered, everyone into his own city. You see, the only one that these things could, the only way that these things could be validated as if you went to a place where people knew you. And so people were forced to go back to the city of their birth where there would be a large collection of those who could identify who they were so that when they took the census and put their names down, that it could be contested if it weren't true. And so that everyone could be accounted for. And so they're returning to their own city, in this case the city of David. And so Joseph went up also from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David. And so they make this journey that's roughly three days in length by uh, walking, if you're towing along a donkey, if you're moving uh, at a reasonable pace, about three days. And so they head from Nazareth, which is in the north, adjacent to the region of Galilee in the foothills. They're traveling down those foothills, likely came along the mountainous ridgetops, uh, came to Jerusalem, then continued about five miles further south to the town of Bethlehem. That area today is controlled by the Palestinian Authority. Bethlehem is no longer actually inside of the nation Israel. It sits outside of it, even though it's only five miles from Jerusalem. That gives you an idea of how conflicted that region of the world is today. And so as they journey to Nazareth, to, David, to David's city which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and of the lineage of David again proving who he was, who she was to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife who was with child and so it was that while they were there the days were completed for her to be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and if you would underline that phrase it actually means bandages And I find it an interesting fact to think that the baby Jesus was wrapped in bandages because 32 years later he would also be wrapped in bandages. He came into this world bandaged. He left this world bandaged. But he has arisen from the grave and is alive forevermore. And laid him in a manger. Again, an interesting type, an interesting picture. A manger then was a crib box. Joseph, being a carpenter, would have had no problem fashioning one of those. They weren't too tough to make. But they also look exactly like a coffin. Interesting how the Lord Jesus came into this world. One could even say that as he arrived, so he would leave, just exactly as God planned. But there was no room for them in the end. As Jesus was born, there was a there was a movement on in the world, and the history of that time was rather tumultuous. At the time uh, that these events began, Julius Caesar was in power. Julius Caesar was assassinated. His likely successor, Mark Anthony, was on the scene, but Mark Anthony was also assassinated. And so, as, as Mark Anthony dies, this crazy guy. Uh, Caius Octavius comes into power and so he takes the name Caesar Augustus. The Caesar during that day was the ultimate power on earth and in fact the Romans believed that Caesar was God. And one of the reasons that the Christians, the early Christians, had such a problem with the Roman Empire is that Rome demanded allegiance to their God who was Caesar. That's why we have no God, but Caesar was said, you remember, by the Jews? They were making a story. They were trying to capitulate to the Roman powers, because the Romans say hey, we don't want problems with Rome, so we'll say what they want us to say. We'll let them hear what they want to hear. Caesar was God. And so Caesar could do anything Caesar wanted to do. And in this case, Caesar Augustus uh, becomes Caesar, he becomes God, and just like Lucifer, exalted his throne above all other thrones. And yet his feet were firmly planted here on earth. The one that would come would save, the one that was already there would kill. There is such a tremendous difference between the powers of this world and the powers of heaven. Some of those things that we look at, and they're they're simple to us, they're normal to us, because when we think of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we think of the humility of Jesus Christ. Caesar was exactly the opposite of that. And so Caesar was in power, and he inflicts upon those in his kingdom anything he wants. And so... Uh, He announces that Serenius would be the governor of Syria. And so there's a local governor. There's a national power, very much like we have today. There would be a center of power, which was Rome, and there would be a local center of power, which in this case was in modern-day Palestine in Israel. And the governor there announces, because Caesar has thus decreed, that a census would be taken for the purpose of taxation. And so Mary and Joseph really have no choice uh, if they want to survive, if they want to be uh, part of the community that they live in because Rome ruled with an iron hand. When Masada was taken, if you go to Israel today and you should happen to go to the, the site of Masada and you're standing there on the top of that cliff looking down, uh, it, it, it almost makes no sense That the Rome, that Rome sent soldiers to actually try and move what might have been 250 to perhaps as many as 500 Maccabeans from the top of Masada. It's in the middle of nowhere. It is the gnarliest, driest, ugliest, rock strewn desert that you'll ever see. It looks down on the Dead Sea. But as you stand on top of Masada and you look around it, there are four encampments that each one of them is about a half mile square. Rome sent 10,000 soldiers ultimately to try and force Judas Maccabeus off the top of Masada. A few hundred people. Rome ruled with an iron hand. And so we look at these things and go, well, it almost doesn't make any sense. But that's the way Rome was. You didn't mess with Rome. And so when someone was put in power, they were powerful indeed, and they carried the might, the weight, the voice of Rome. Joseph and Mary are now on their way to the city. And the journey that they would take would take them to Bethlehem. And I want you to turn back because this is one of the most beautiful of the prophecies of the coming Messiah. Turn to the book of Micah, so back to the Old Testament, uh, back past there in the Minor Prophets to the book of Micah. It's on page 821 in my Bible, if you want to turn there. might be closer. I don't know. But chapter 5 of the book of Micah, and pick up with me in verse 2 for it clearly declares the very event that would now unfold on this day in the city of David. But you, O Bethlehem of Apratha, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, describes Bethlehem at the time 2 A.T. Bethlehem at that time was a stop on the Roman road south. And as you left Jerusalem and you were heading towards the caravan routes that went around the southern end of the Dead Sea, you went through Bethlehem. But no one would have ever wanted to live in Bethlehem. There was nothing there. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's in the rolling hills. There's no good water supply. There isn't anything in Bethlehem, but it was a city... It was important to the Jews. It was the city of David. And so it says, and remember that Micah is writing some six to seven hundred years before the events that we have in Luke chapter 2. And yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who will be ruler in Israel. You getting the prophetic implications here? Whose goings forth are from old from everlasting. How many human beings can that be said about? Uh, from a biblical standpoint, exactly one, because Jesus was a human being. There's only been one who is from everlasting. And therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. You get this pretty specific prophetic window. till she's Going to be given up finally until she's ready to give birth. Isn't it interesting that it was actually a decree of a heathen king that sent Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem? God's exacting precision. And then they remain and then the remnant, excuse me, of his brethren shall return to the children of the Lord. You see, there would be the first Jews or the first Christians, excuse me, were what? Jews, amen. Almost exclusively. This prophecy was fulfilled with tremendous precision. And he shall stand to feed his flock. How did Jesus normally teach? Standing. And he stood. He stood at the Sea of Galilee. He stood on the Temple Mount. He stood in the garden. He stood, he stood, he stood. And Jesus stood to feed his flock. In the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. Isn't that weird? This one who would come would also himself be God, but also would declare his God. The only way that can happen is if there's God plural. Gives you a picture. And they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be, underline that, peace. Not bring peace, he himself shall be peace you want to see how God links these things together, flip over a handful of pages to the book of Isaiah, to chapter 9. In verse 6, for it says, Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. He would be both humanity, he would be deity, he would come from heaven, but he would be an earthly child, and the government will be upon his shoulder. He would be ultimately king. One of the names of Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? And His name will be called. And in this phraseology here in the Hebrew, it means that He shall be known as. His name shall be called. But it was in a reference to what one would do. In other words, you would get a name that was based on who you were. Jacob, the heel catcher. Isaac, whose name meant laughter. You get the picture. So his name shall be called Wonderful. These things are separated by commas. That punctuation wasn't in the original Hebrew because these things were statements. Statement one is he'll be called Wonderful. Statement two is he'll be called Counselor. Statement three, El Shaddai, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, and in this sense, the Father of anything was the originator, the one who brought it. Another, the Father of eternity is another way to look at it. And the Prince of Peace. The one who would declare the kingdom of peace has arrived. Do you see the exactness of Scripture? These things were all said in this case, fully 700 years before Jesus came. Both these passages, by the way, are found in the cave scrolls that were found in Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, in Cave 4. Both of these passages were there. Both of them dated well before the time of Jesus Christ our Lord. These things were said before he ever came. And of the increase of his government and peace. Why? Because he's the source of peace. He said of himself, My peace I give you, not peace as the world gives do I give to you, but my peace, a different kind of peace, a peace that's come because you now have peace with God the Father, not a peace that's come from the cessation of hostility. That peace I give you. There will be no end. When you have that peace, how long does it last? From the time you say yes to Jesus Christ, for all eternity and forevermore. You have that peace. And it's an indescribable peace according to your Bible. And let the peace of God guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen? You, You see, very, very descriptive what's being said. And upon the throne of, oh my goodness, David? The throne of David? So this Prince of Peace will one day sit on David's throne? The only way you can do that is being a direct descendant of David the king. Amen? Mary and Joseph were both direct descendants of David the king. Jesus Christ was a direct descendant of David the king. And so when he comes back to sit on the throne of David the king, he will actually have the legal right to sit on that throne. And his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forevermore. For the zeal of the Lord of hosts, the name of Yahweh, Lord of hosts, God the Father in heaven, will perform this. So when you get to Luke 2, no mysteries to the Jews. Should have been very clear what was happening to them and so mary and joseph travel to an inn that's described in second samuel 19 and jeremiah chapter 41 known there as chinnam's inn and it's still there today it's in the location of the church of the holy sepulcher or excuse me the church of the nativity and so as you go there you can actually see this rock cleft that you know, people believe was the cleft, but it's still there, and it's still at the crossroads of traveling those directions, either south and or east-west now at this time. And so they come there, and the innkeeper says, there's no room. We don't have any. Can't come in. What that meant at that time was this. It's kind of like you show up and you probably have had some of this because, remember, Mary and Joseph are Galileans, amen? They spoke with an accent. And so there's very little doubt that this was prejudice because nobody wanted to entertain Galileans. They were believed to be hicks from the sticks, okies from Muskogee. They spoke with an accent when they showed, it's like, oh, they're Galileans. You know, I mean, we could, we could probably have some Jerusalemites. Now they could come in because they've got some scratch. They've got some coin. They've got some money. But these Galileans, they have nothing. They come from a farming community. He says, now there's no room, but we do have a stable. We do have a stinky, pungent, foul, filth-infested stable, and you're welcome to go there if you'd like. If you can find some straw, it's yours. And it was there that the baby Jesus would be brought to this earth to begin to fulfill the things that God had said in advance would be the signs that this was in fact Jesus the Messiah. And he did with exacting care. Notice the reaction of the princes of this world. And now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, for they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Remember Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. That's good tidings. The Prince of Peace, the Father of Eternity has come. You see, the angels had been around a while. They kind of knew what was going down. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, exactly as Micah had said. Now you know why I showed you those two passages of Scripture. Exactly as Micah had said. So it was that Jesus was born. In the city of David, not just a regular baby, a savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling claws, lying in a manger. You, you'll find him wrapped up like he's a, a bandaged baby. He'll be lying in a he'll be in a box. Now what follows is very interesting, because we have zero insight from Luke as to why the shepherds headed to Bethlehem. Why would you go there? If you were thinking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah of Glory, God incarnate in human flesh, if God was going to send somebody to earth, where would you have picked if you were thinking like a normal human being, it sure wouldn't have been in Bethlehem. It would have been Jerusalem. Amen? God's holy city. The place of the temple. Right there on Mount Zion where Abraham offered up Isaac. Unless you knew exactly what God had already said. Because God had already told them where the babe was going to be born. And it was Bethlehem. And this will be a sign to you, for you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling claws, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God, and notice again, peace on earth, or on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The focus on peace. You, you see that peace that I now have, that I used to have? When I was walking with the Lord, I did not have God's peace. I didn't even have the world's peace. I had turmoil and conflict. Trial, trouble, tribulation, sorrow, heartache. You see, because that's generally what the world brings. It's not that there aren't good things in this life. Don't mistake what I'm saying here. But ultimately, no matter how many of those good things you have, you don't have the kind of peace that only Christ could bring. Because it's eternal peace It's based in heaven. It's anchored wherein is your anchor of hope. It's not anchored to this world. It's not tied to the economy. Thank God. Amen? It's not tied to the United States of America. It's not tied to world peace. It's tied to heavenly peace. Because He's the Prince of Peace. And He's the Eternal Father of Glory. And so here the shepherds begin to book it. And, and, you know, I want to give you a a picture here that's a little different than sometimes is taught on this passage. The shepherds were actually quite influential at the time. And here's why. In that region, this is where everyone had to go to visit the temple to get a sheep to go offer it up inside of the tabernacle in, in the court there of the of where the priest would come and you would bring your own sheep and the priest would examine it and pray over it and then take an offer it. So shepherds were kind of like dairy farmers today. Pretty well off dudes. They had a lot of sheep. They had a lot of cash. And so these guys were pretty influential in the in the region. And so it's interesting to me because Every time someone came to buy a sheep, to take the sheep to the temple to offer a sacrifice, guess who they talked to? None other than the greeting party for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God is amazing and exacting in how he brings these things about because he took the guys that were most likely to see nearly everybody who had been previously worshiping the Lord in the Old Testament Judaic style. He said to them, Oh, and by the way, you're going to have to go to the shepherds that actually saw Jesus to get your sheep to go to the temple. What a picture. God indeed is good. And so, no wonder they saw the glory of the Lord. No wonder they got the sign. No wonder they understood fully what was going on. And then finally, this morning, this sign, you see, because the world at that time was under the Pax Romana, or the Roman peace. But that Roman peace was with an iron hand. It, It was not a peace like we have today. We have circumstantial peace in our country. You can go anywhere. If you leave here this morning and you want to take off and drive across the country, you will not pass a guard station. You won't be jerked out of your car. You you will not have to pay a toll to get out of this state and into the next one. You can simply go from state to state to state. You can drive to the other coast and go anywhere you want. So in that sense, we have peace here in America. But that was not the case in Rome. They had peace, but that peace came with heavy taxation. Every road, every intersection, every town, every piece of goods. I mean, we're kind of taxed to death, but similar to the Roman taxation. But in this case, you showed up at an intersection. Here it is, and you can go any one of the four ways, and you're standing there with your sheep the representative of Rome would come out, count your sheep, and go, come on, give it up, Caesar gets his cut. If you didn't pay, you went to jail. So the Roman peace was the world's kind of peace in a very huge way. You got imprisoned. And if you didn't follow along with their dictums, you might well be losing your life. If you were known to be a follower of Christ later, you were in big trouble. And so the peace at that time was a peace that came at a very high price to all those who lived in the Roman world, especially the least of these, the lower classes. And so we wrap up this morning, verse 15. And so it was with the angels that when they had gone away from from them to heaven that the shepherds said one to another, and I love this, let's go to Bethlehem. Like out of the blue, let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. They believed. They believed. Clearly in view here is the fact there was no doubt in their mind I believe Micah said that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem. The angel said so. Good enough for me. What a picture of how we ought to treat the things that God says to us. Do you receive, believe, and then move? Or do you kind of hear what you think you hear, ponder it for a while, and then weigh it against the things of the world? You see, if they had weighed it against the things of the world, they would have went the other direction towards Jerusalem. But they received it, they believed it, and they acted on it, for the Lord had made it known to them. And they came with haste. That word there actually means to seek out as a hunter. When, when, you're, when you're out hunting, you don't just kind of wander around all over the place. You're actually stalking prey, amen? You, you're, you're wandering around with a extreme purpose. You want to find what you're looking for. We use the same thing in prospecting, do we not? If someone's prospecting for gold, how much time do you think they spend on asphalt roads? Uh, not much. Not a whole lot of gold there on asphalt roads. They're out hunting around in the hillsides, the river bottoms. They get a dredge out there or they're sucking up gravel. They're doing the thing like the Yukon gold guys. You know, They dig big pits and they try and find it. They're searching with everything they have to locate this thing that is most precious to them. That's what your Bible says about the shepherds. Man, let's go find Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said about Himself? If they seek Me, they will find Me. He said, if you have a heart to find Me, you'll find Me. That's what the shepherds were doing. And the Lord... Has made known to us these things. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. Now you see exactly how wonderful that plan was. Passover day, a few hundred thousand people journeying into Jerusalem, stopping by this. Place that the shepherds hung out. Because in the area around Jerusalem, not a great place to to take sheep. It's mostly rocks. And so the hills just south of there were where the flocks of sheep were. So anyone who wanted a sheep needed to go see these guys. And so they come. And they say, hey, and by the way, uh, the Messiah of glory has come. And all those who heard these things, which were told to them by the shepherds, marveled. But Mary... Kept these things in her heart. You you see, Scripture is pretty clear. It says, let another man sing your praises. If Mary had been boasting about the baby that she had just been given birth to, it would have seemed rather, shall we say, uh, extrapolated. Oh sure, you you just gave birth to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't have sounded quite as good coming from Mary, but from a bunch of shepherds who had nothing to do with the whole thing, but simply came and saw the babe and saw the light of God shining on him. Uh, believable story then. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen and those things which had taken place before them. So the Christmas story from a little different perspective. Mary kept these things and no doubt later would recount them to Dr. Luke, and we probably have that. You see, the birth of Jesus always brings some kind of a reaction. The question is, what kind? It drew Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. It drew the angels from heaven. And it drew the shepherds from their fields. How does it draw you? That's the question. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, for the glory of your word, for the beauty, for the majesty, for the precision. Lord, for the exacting way that you have provided us with sufficient background to know that Jesus is the only name under heaven whereby men can be saved. That you, Jesus, are who you declared yourself to be. You are the I Am the only one who's ever been self-existent, the creator of all other things, and the one who died on Calvary's cross, so that we might live with you. We bless your name. We thank you for this time this morning. Anoint us, Lord, to be just like the shepherds. When someone comes looking, Lord, would we have the answer. We bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. man